Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the government's autumn statement, which was announced by the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, yesterday. Hello, I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor of the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor, and Freddie Hayward, our political correspondent. So let's first of all talk about what was and perhaps what wasn't in the autumn statement before we get into the politics of it and the impact of it on people's lives. So the biggest headline uh, measures were on tax. Jeremy Hunt would like this this statement to be seen as, you know, what the government is now advertising as the biggest tax cut in British history. And the main pillars of that were a 2 P cut in national insurance, scrapping class two national insurance payments altogether. Um, and also business tax cuts as well. And there were other things in there too. But it doesn't seem to have necessarily been bought uh, by all of the media because um, because of freezing the tax thresholds again, um, which they're doing until 2028, means that more and more people are getting dragged into higher uh, tax brackets because of inflation. And so actually, tax is going up. Um, so the Treasury will collect $44.6 billion more in tax, um, contributing to what will be the highest tax take since the te- Second World War. And I thought it was really interesting because I know they've had some positive headlines this morning on the front pages, but... In the immediate reaction, the BBC, Times and Telegraph all led with the tax burden rising. So actually the spin in the moment, which usually does work on political journalists who are perhaps less uh, less focused on the sort of the, the hard economics of a budget, um, weren't I mean, taken in this time. <laughs> um, Freddie, you wrote in your piece that Hunt actually seemed to be speaking in an alternate reality. Is that is that why? Yeah, completely. I mean, the autumn statement was divorced from the fiscal reality that was contained in the OBR report. So on tax, as you say, Anoush, he was proclaiming uh, a massive tax-cutting agenda yeah. when we know that the tax burden's going up. So, yes, of course, you can uh, you know, give with one hand, but if you're taking five times with the other, then it doesn't make sense. You can't say to the public, we are uh, cutting taxes when in reality you're not. That's not to underplay how important it is to, for instance, have the full expensing a program for businesses that will encourage business investment or the cut in national insurance. But overall, the picture is of a government 
that's struggling with low economic growth, which is forced to raise taxes because of public services, and one which isn't really aligned with what it's saying in public. Yeah, and Rachel, explain a bit about what this full expensing thing is, because it sounds very technical, but actually... Um, those free market think tanks, the Tories on the sort of uh, economic right of the party are quite pleased with this measure. I should say that it's not just the the, the, the right wing think tanks. It's yeah. also uh, business groups like the, the CBI and, and others, like the more kind of mainstream, mainstream yeah. economists will say that the, this is a distortion in the tax system that makes it harder for businesses to invest. So one of the big problems with productivity in the UK is that we have really low business investment, uh, particularly capital investment in plant and machinery, like physical things. And what full expensing does is it allows businesses, if they make a big investment, to write that off against their tax bill kind of all at once, as opposed to the previous system where you got a little bit of it every year for a number of years. So it makes it, it's an, it's an incentive for businesses to upgrade now. And it is one of those things which, if you look at kind of what's holding back investment, there are some there are there are people who think that it actually won't have as big of an impact as, mm. as people say. But it's not giving tax breaks for all businesses. It's trying to encourage encourage them to behave in the way that we want them to, which is to invest. So it's it's a good thing, um, but that is in sort of the wider context of how much of an impact is this going to have on growth, because that was the other key thing about this awesome statement. Uh, Jeremy Hunt said he was going to outline 110 measures for growth. He didn't go through all of them, but it did feel like he was going (laughs) through a lot of them. It went on for a long time, but kind of in every area that he was tinkering with, with sort of tax and spend and investment, he was doing it saying, and this will help growth by reforming planning so it's easier for us to build infrastructure or uh, making work pay so more people want to go back into work. So actually, it was a very Liz Truss era basis for an autumn statement, which is the core point about all of these measures is to try and grow the economy because, as Freddie said, growth is so low, uh, the forecast for the next couple of years look utterly dire. And with public services the way that they are, growth is the only way that you get that money in to be able to fix some of those problems. Yeah, I mean, that's another alternate reality, though, isn't it? Because growth will actually be lower over the next five years. And OK, we're talking about the medium term here um, than it was forecast to be back in March when we had the last budget. Yeah, that's partly, I think, because we're starting from a higher basis. But yeah, growth rates are lower than they were predicted to be. But I think public services is the key point here. So uh, what and Jeremy Hunt has essentially done is because inflation has increased the tax receipts that the government's receiving, he's taken that extra money, used it to upgrade welfare, which we should recognise, which is going up uh, with inflation. He's also used it for these big tax cuts. But essentially, that money should have been spent um, on maintaining the budgets for public services. So it, the big black hole in his analysis is that after the next election, you're going to have all of these departments that aren't protected uh, in terms of their funding have massive spending cuts in real terms. Now, I spoke to one Tory yesterday and I, you know, I put this to them and they were like, well, yeah, because that's fine. We want a smaller state. So there are some Tories who just see it as a, as a way of, of shrinking the state. Mm-hmm. But I think there are also lots of Tories who would balk at the idea of cutting even further justice or uh, prisons or whatever it may be. Schools. Schools, everything. Everything that's sort of like not the NHS or uh, aid. So that's a... That's a sort of secret 
um, purpose behind the autumn statement, which I don't think many people, yeah. or Jeremy Hunt definitely didn't recognise. Well, it's a whacking great return to austerity, isn't it? And it's all, it's almost identical, the amount that um, non-protected departmental budgets are going to be yeah. cut um, as the tax cuts, the money he spent on tax cuts, about £20 billion. That coupled with the fact that living standards are um, at their biggest reduction since the 1950s means that people are not necessarily going to feel this extra money in their pockets um, brought, uh, brought about by the tax cuts, but also they're going to be facing public services that are even more squeezed. Because I know people say this is a trap for Labour. If they get into government, they'll they'll have these hu- this big black hole in, the, in public spending. Um, but it has an immediate impact because if, say, the prison service thinks that it's facing these extra cuts, it can't invest. It can't hire more prison staff. It has an immediate impact. It doesn't just happen in the next parliament. Yeah, so I guess the question is, is it going to happen? Yeah. Um, and I think what you're going to see is whoever wins the next election, they're going to have to uh, confront the fact that we need to increase tax revenue. It is interesting from Labour's perspective that they've essentially supported the key measures in the autumn statement. They support the national insurance uh, cut. They basically said that they support the full expensing policy. I mean, in part, that's because they've always said uh, taxes should be lower on working people. And they also think we should have continuity and help for the private sector. However, there's a broader uh, divide that I think has been set out this week. It started with Rishi Sunak's speech on Monday. And now we've seen it in the autumn statement as well. It's clear, I think, now that the Tories are going quite hard on the fact that we're going to cut taxes. Labour's investment plans with the Green Prosperity Plan mean that they won't. So that, for me, seems to be a divide that has come about this week that wasn't very clear last week. Yeah. And and let's look at what they actually did in terms of cost of living measures to try and mitigate, you know, how people are feeling at the moment. Um, So you had the local housing allowance, which is housing benefit for private tenants. That's been unfrozen. It had been frozen since 2020. But when you look into the small print, it's just going to be frozen again. Um, And so people are going to be right back in the position that they were in um, by the time of 2025. So it's not a huge change. Mm. Um, You did have benefits going up in line with the September inflation figure. Again, I'm not sure how, you know, great a victory that is, uh, bearing in mind that is the norm. That's the default, you know. Um, But then again, you know, people are relieved. Yeah, it's easy to say we're compassionate conservatives, but that's just the normal. Yeah, there never used to be this debate before. No, it's the same with the minimum wage. We're increasing the minimum wage. Massively, it's like, well, yes, because inflation's going up, and And you would always do that. Yeah, and that's another that's another measure. Triple lock stays in place, so pensioners feel more comfortable, Um, and alcohol duty frozen as well. Which means, by the way, that pensions rise more than in work benefits. Yes, Um, Uh, it's a different inflation rate that it rises by. I think, yeah, it's it's, it's, 8.5%. By, it's by earnings because that includes uh, the increase in, um, sorry, this is, this, is, this is one of my pet topics, yeah. that the increase in the triple lock this year includes the uh, bonuses, the one-off bonuses offered to NHS workers as part of sort of pay settlements. And so it's saying, look, workers got a pay rise on average of 8.5%, but they didn't really. And that was also to make up for years and years of, stagnation, but mm. the, the triple lock goes up by that same amount. So it goes up in line with average earnings rises rather than the inflation rate, because yes. it's always one of three yes. three measures. Yeah, okay. The I pensioners see. get a bigger pay boost than literally anyone else. And yeah. I feel like that's important to 
flag. <laughs> well, you know, all of this suggests that um, <laughs> there, there may be an election coming up, I suppose, is, is one <laughs> way of reading it. it. Um, and then we look at what they did on benefits. Yes, they, they put them up in line with that inflation rate, but they've also introduced way more conditionality into the system. And that's sort of a euphemism that basically means you have to do more to get your benefits. Um, and some of it's quite punitive. So um, you will have to do a mandatory work placement if you're still looking for a job after 18 months. And if with it, if in that six months of uh, when you're supposed to be doing a work placement, you don't engage with it, then you'll lose your benefits, free prescriptions, dentistry, access to legal aid, um, and also because of changes to work capability assessments, which are the fit for fitness for work tests for disabled and, and ill people, um, it's it's much stricter criteria now. So you will be more likely to have to be searching for work, um, and you know all of those things. <laughs> We've we've had more and more conditionality introduced into the system since 2010, and it hasn't had the impact that um, the Conservatives would would like, which is having fewer and fewer people off on long term sick, um, or on you know the the work capability assessment stream, which means you don't have to look for work. It doesn't work, especially not when you have the NHS and social care in in the state that it's in. People can't get the care that they need in order to help them be in a state where they can look for jobs. And it also doesn't take into account other reasons that people who are out of work struggle to find jobs. Mm. Uh, so maybe they don't have, I don't know, reliable internet and technology at home. If you've got an insecure income and you're not sure if your benefits are going to be cut off, it makes it much harder to plan. Obviously, there's childcare. Childcare is meant to be being brought in, I think, next year. Uh, the, 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 the childcare plan that Jeremy Hunt promised, but it's not there yet. So if you're caring for your children, somebody else's children, if you're caring for an elderly relative, if you are um, suffering with drug addiction or mental health or any of these reasons, or even if you don't have the ability to travel to work, because we know that like transport is also a major factor, the sort of punitive aspect of you must engage with this or you'll lose your benefits doesn't help with any of those driving factors. Yeah, and inflation is part of this. So it's actually forecast to come down slower than it was in March as well now, even though they're sort of crowing about meeting their uh, halving inflation target. But I was speaking to some people who are on low incomes and they said, actually, if you can't pay for fuel and if you can't sort of manage the essentials, then it makes it much harder to look for work. They said, you know, what would be more helpful is if you could guarantee that I could sort of heat my house over winter, then I might be in more of a fit state to be able to, to you know, take on that work-related activity or even job seeking that um, you're asking me to do. So there's that element of it. And I think that brings us onto the politics of this, which is, are people really going to feel the benefit of these tax cuts? So are they going to look at those big Tory adverts saying the big t biggest tax cuts in British history and feel it in their pockets? No. Um, so the OBR have been clear that even though the uh, fiscal outlook is slightly better than it was in March, we're still going to experience the biggest reduction in living standards since the 1950s, as you say, Anoush. And that's the overarching political uh, point here. People, as we know, as we've discussed, don't feel as if they're better off under this Conservative government. They feel as if the taxes are going up and they feel as if the public services aren't working for them in the way that they should. So I think the argument, therefore, shifts onto uh, public services in a way that the Conservatives don't want to talk about. I mean, again, look at Rishi Sunak's speech on Monday. He said it was about the economy, fine. 
but he didn't mention the NHS. He didn't really talk about public services. This is a conservative government that's reverting back to uh, that, as you say, the sort of, well, maybe trust, I'd say it's almost also quite Osborne, uh, that sort of let's have low taxes and also let's have fiscal conservatism. Uh, whether they've done either of those things, I, I would question. But that's the message. It's not let's go for growth through unfunded tax cuts or let's borrow to invest or let's uh, get rid of austerity, as Boris Johnson used to talk about. It's a reversion back to the 2010s. Um, so I think that that's the key dividing line, and it requires Labour to respond. I think it requires them to uh, make a much firmer argument for why investing to grow is the right course and why the tax cuts that Jeremy Hunt has been talking about uh, won't necessarily deliver the growth that they want. After the break, we'll be discussing Labour's response to the autumn statement and whether the Tories have set a trap. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We'll come on to Labour just after this because there's more than one audience for a, for a budget or an autumn statement, isn't yeah. there? Um, there's the public, but then there's also your own party, your own MPs, who many of whom have been pushing for tax cuts for a long time, Rachel. So how did that go down with the Tory backbenchers? So far, surprisingly well. And I think this is interesting because obviously last week there was the rebellion that didn't quite happen over Swala Braverman being yeah. sacked and... Uh, there is a lot of anger on the backbenchers from all factions, but particularly from the right that feels that Rishi Sunak has kind of abandoned them and what's he doing there? He wasn't chosen by the public or the members. Anyway, there's this thing called the Growth Commission, which is a sort of think tank-esque research body of economists set up by Liz Truss uh, after she was no longer a prime minister. Uh, and its aim is what it says on the tin, like, how can we get Britain and other countries growing? And they did their alternative autumn statement uh, a week ago, where they put in lots of measures that they would want to see. Mm -hmm. And I was really expecting that organisation and some of the MPs associated with it to kind of come out really fiery. This isn't enough. Mm. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he's abandoned us. No plan, not credible. And instead, the reaction was kind of cautiously okay, it's a start. Now, it wasn't a ringing endorsement. Uh, I think that's really important to say. And the Growth Commission and others said what they really wanted was a corporation tax cut, like Liz Truss had promised, uh, and that this was a bit tinkering around the edges. But they were really pleased about full expensing. Uh, Simon Clark, who was uh, a cabinet minister, cabinet secretary under Liz Truss, said that full expensing, he said, was uh, less sexy but more significant <laughs> than the uh, national insurance tax cuts okay. for workers. So pleased about that. Pleased about the fact that 
the framing of the autumn statement seemed to be in a pro-growth direction. And if you think about the reports that we've been hearing for the last couple of weeks that uh, Hunt was going to have to do something on inheritance tax because that's what the Tory right were demanding. Well, this particular faction of the Tory right seem somewhat mollified by what he actually announced. Now, obviously, there are different factions and obviously the migration figures, Rao, could mm. blow everything up again. But I think he did just enough to remind those MPs that they're better off sticking with Rishi Sunak's government than they, they would be causing a rebellion now. OK, and, and it's part of that party management aspect, the fact that this 2P cut to national insurance is coming in in January rather than the next financial year, which is which is sort of set Westminster alight with rumours about there being an election in May after all. Um, but, you know, is is that even the sort of either the threat or the promise of, a, of an early election than expected? Does it almost have the same benefit uh, of a reshuffle where you kind of keep your MPs into line until a certain date <clears throat> that's never actually that never actually comes to pass. Yeah, a little bit. But I think we're not really in a normal situation for the Conservative Party. They're polling so poorly uh, that there is a sense that we are, we're all going to lose our seats and we face failure, whatever we do. And I think that does lead to, on one hand, despair and anger, on the other, uh, resignation. Um, so on the election, I don't think whether you're going to have the election in the autumn or January 25 or May changes the fact that you want these tax um, cuts to come in as early as possible. Okay. You need people to feel it. So, of course, you want it to come in uh, January rather than just a month before. I think that's that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go in May. See, I, I'm going to disagree with Please. you because because if we like to have a disagreement on this, <laughs> um, I, I, I agree that we we just don't know and the polls look dire and it would still be really risky for Rishi Sunak to go to the electorate in May. However, governments really don't like changing the tax system during a tax year. It's really complicated. It's extra expenses for businesses, extra expenses for HMRC. Um, it's a difference of three months. If you were going to have an election in October, November, April changes would probably be okay. This is the point that you'd have to make the tax changes if you wanted to have the option of them being felt by a May election. So I don't think it means it's going to happen, but I think it's a very clear signal that it's still a possibility because otherwise, why would you pick that date and create all this extra trouble for yourself? Well, I think you're overstating the government's concern for the civil service. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly, on Labour's response. So, I mean... A lot of people have painted this as a sort of trap for Labour, but I feel like the, the, the Labour's facing the same dilemma as they were on Tuesday, yeah. right? They're going to have to raise taxes or borrow to, in order to f fund our public services properly because they're falling over. Yeah, completely. It's the fiscal trilemma that we always speak about. What do you do in the short term before you can guarantee economic growth to be able to fund uh, public services? That remains. And we've got to remember as well that we knew that these spending cuts were penciled in back in March. Yeah. So it's not this is not new. It was already there. He's just used some of that extra headroom and the baseline hasn't really changed. Um, but for Labour, no, I do think it's interesting that they've managed, I think, rightly, wisely to keep the focus on the OBR report um, and the economic projections by agreeing to the Tories' plans. That, I mean, it's not new. They basically say, look, we will make our uh, tax decisions when we come to the general election. Up until then, we'll basically just either agree or disagree, but it doesn't really matter because the key decision will come in the future. That's their position, and I think it's a good way of deflecting 
um, attention or, or ensuring that they don't have to make a constant commentary on what they would do and hold themselves uh, for hostages to fortune mm. in doing so. But I do think, as I said earlier, the debate has been sharpened um, in a way that it, it wasn't in the past. I mean, this is Jeremy Hunt saying, I'm the tax-cutting chancellor. That's not true. But that is the narrative that the Conservatives are going to take into the next year. How does Labour respond to that? I was speaking to one Labour source yesterday. It was really interesting. They were basically musing about the fact that perhaps we need a wealth tax here to mm. enable Labour to cut working taxes. This is something Harry and I spoke about on the podcast before. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Rachel Reeves has ruled it out. It's a very risky strategy to take. And why take risks when you're 23 points ahead in the polls? Yeah. But it's interesting that Labour now have to think about tax in a way that they... I don't think they've had to so far because the debate has been somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I think um, that wealth tax point, I mean, there's so many MPs on on different sides of the Labour Party who are calling for that because it and is the Michael way... Gove. Yeah, it is the way that they could... I mean, it was Nigel Lawson who originally yeah. brought capital gains tax up in line with income tax. Gordon Brown who reversed it. So um, there is a sort of political path to it, I suppose. But I think apparently when, when people mention this to Rachel Reeves privately, she's like, what, and lose the election? I think there's yeah. that constant memory of 92 when they introduced that um, sort of shadow budget that had uh, tax taxes for the better off in order to fund um, people who are worse off. So I think there's that ha- that memory that haunts yeah, I mean, the Labour front bench. It's, it's an incon- incontrovertible truth of politics that the Tories are associated with tax cuts. I think the question now is because we've had three or four years of uh, Tory government raising taxes, has that narrative in the public's mind changed? And it, it and it has a little bit in the polling. You can see it. People associate uh, Labour with lower taxes now more so than they do the Conservative Party, which is a remarkable change in the political framework of the UK. Whether Labour actually want to engage with that challenge, it risk it, uh, try and reframe the consensus or whatever it may be, I, I, I don't think they would because there's they just, why would you? There's no need as, as such at the moment when people are doing so poorly, yeah. uh, when the economy's uh, so bad, when the Tory party is so divided, when it can't agree on its immigration strategy, when it's got Suella Braverman resigning, when immigration figures are going through the roof, when they said they were going to bring them down. All of these things just point to the failure of the government. So you don't necessarily need to come up with a coherent strategy for... Um, reorientating the economic settlement or the tax settlement in the UK, that doesn't mean you won't have to do it after the next election. Yeah. But up until then, I, 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 don't, I can't see them doing it. Mm. And, and lastly, this is, this is not a very progressive budget, is it? Um, I think IPPR came out with the stat that the richest fifth of households will receive almost half of autumn statement tax cuts. So really, you know, it is, it is the better off who are benefiting from all of these changes, despite all the rhetoric about, you know, helping working people and putting money back in their pockets. Um, and, you know, in, in a past life, perhaps that's something that Labour would focus on more. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I think relating that back to the conversation on um, wealth taxes, often the argument against taxing wealth is that it's seen as being anti-aspirational, it's mm. seen as the politics of envy. It's interesting, I do think that perhaps when when the economy is doing much worse than it is and people are struggling, does that aspiration turn to anger and actually, yeah. no, this isn't working for us and this is an unfair settlement? And I do think Labour in some ways have recognised that because the taxes they've announced so far have been on non-DOM people yes. who are very wealthy, uh, private, private schools. schools yeah. Which has polled really well, despite yeah. the yeah. suggestion yeah, that right. it might poll exactly. badly. And, yeah. um, private equity firms. Yeah. So it's already you've already got these circulation of ideas that they recognize that the sentiment is there as you say within the country that 
actually, no, things aren't going right and perhaps it should be the wealth you pay more. Whether you want to capitalise on that with a wealth tax, I think another question, as we say. But yeah, that sentiment's there. Yeah. And I, I, this is probably more of a trivial point, And I know not many normal people watch the autumn statement. But I did think that Rishi Sunak ought to be careful about the look on his face when these things are happening. Oh, he yeah. was he was really grinning. He had a Cheshire cat grin for the whole time. And this is, you know, most people are, are feeling really squeezed in yeah. the country. And actually, his smile has come up in focus groups, apparently, as mm. something that people that people find quite off putting and a bit jarring. Grinning. And one of the people that I interviewed, I, I asked a, um, some people who are sort of struggling on the sharp end to watch the autumn statement and send me their reactions. And one of them said, what I've seen is a bunch of rich people laughing, nodding and cheering about taking money away from the most vulnerable. Quiet. All right. Thanks so much, both of you. Um, And thanks for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. It's a shiny new uh, Google form and uh, we'll get your questions quicker. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shakelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Haywood. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.